I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Can you hear me? I can hear you. And America hears you. And the people who did this, they hear, they hear you. Uh, so Michigan's getting the train run on them right now, unfortunately. No title tonight. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just the Michigan way, being one game short of winning a title. Well, to be fair, the guy that they're facing tonight in the uh, Super Regionals threw a 19-strikeout no-hitter. Yeah, it's a little hard to beat. <laughs> it's like a Kerry Wood game. I'm sorry, but baseball is still boring, even if it's a team I care about. <laughs> and two, if I start watching now, what if they start losing? Do I become a jinx? I think your Purdue fandom is leading you to the answer that you know is true. Well, this will be, be a great cold open leading up to oh, a baseball yes. podcast, me ranting about baseball. <laughs> and this lady, this ladies and gentlemen is why I do not do the Let's Get Weird podcast. I just edit it. All right. So just let me know when to go and I can start us up. So you are now free to roam about the podcast. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Let's Get Weird podcast. And this will probably be a relatively quick one, at least I hope so, because I am traveling in the morning on vacation, and there's nothing I love more than running through an airport with a six-year-old. So let's go back to the late 1800s in some baseball, as we will be discussing Cap Anson and Moses Fleetwood Walker tonight, as always, with... Paul Banks of the Sports Bank in Chicago. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. How are you? Are you excited about your trip in the morning? Yes, I am. Uh, We have been trying to get to every Major League Baseball stadium now for some time, and we are going to do an East Coast swing where we're going to... We've already been to D.C., but we're going to get another game there, and then we're going to knock off Baltimore, Philly, and the Mets while we are there and see some stuff in New York, see some stuff in Philly, and... Maybe even catch the Gold Cup quarterfinals Sunday night in Philly. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I, I just got the invite for Gold Cup Media Day on July 1 on Canada Day. So looking forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> well, any time that you can celebrate Canada Day. I, I, Canada is not in the Gold Cup, though, are they? Yes, yes, they are. They made the quarterfinals. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they'll advance to the final, and then maybe we'll have a real celebration. Yes, they are. They will actually. They are actually going to be playing Haiti in the quarterfinals on Saturday. Oh, I like those odds. <laughs> and it looks like it'll be Haiti in Houston on Saturday, with the potential for the final on July se- July seventh in Baker, Chicago. Field. Yep. 
But anyway, that's the Gold Cup. We won't be talking about that tonight. As I said, we're going to be talking some uh, late 1800s baseball, uh, referring to Cap Anson and Moses Walker. And, of course, that means there will be lots of virulent racism in this one, uh, especially since don't know how many people have heard of Moses Fleetwood Walker. He was actually one of the first ever black baseball players. Right. I mean, the narrative has always been that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, but Jackie Robinson was the first African-American baseball player who was able to succeed and thrive because he had the temperament and the personality to endure all the abuse and racism and death threats and everything else that goes along with it. And he opened the door for more black players to come into the major leagues. So baseball in America want you to think that he's the first black player, but he's actually the fourth. Yes, because uh, Moses uh, made his major league debut with, and this is a team that is definitely not around still, the Toledo Blue Stockings <laughs> on May 1st, 1884. Yes, and his brother, Weldy Walker, also played a few games uh, in the major leagues. And then before both of them, there was a man, that white guy, like his last name was actually White. Yeah, William Edward White. William Edward White. Now, he actually lived his life as a white man. It wasn't discovered that he was black until it kind of came out later on his death certificate. But his, his mother was actually a slave. Uh, and that's what you've got to love about the attitude at the time. The guy went through his life white, except for they probably discovered on his deathbed that he had black heritage and they're like, hey, we should have been hating this guy all along. Right. I mean, that's that's out there. The other idea was um, how come white only played one game and was off the team? And there's a theory that his heritage was discovered. So that's how he got kicked off. And, or, and it should be noted not. that Walker was the last one to play in the majors until Jackie Robinson. But like you said, uh, Jackie Robinson was the fourth. It just took about six decades for them to get around to having uh, African-Americans back in the majors. Then, Right. And a big reason for that is the other person that we're going to talk about tonight on this podcast, Adrian Constantine Cap Anson, who... Now, Weldy Walker believes that Cap Anson really had a lot to do with the, uh, we're going to use big air quotes here, gentleman's agreement that led to keeping blacks out of the major leagues for five, six, seven decades. But it's definitely, he definitely had as much influence as any one single individual, that's for sure. And Cap Anson made his debut for, yes, another professional team that counts as a major league team, May 6th, 1871 for the Rockford Forest Cities. So you're talking the earliest times of professional baseball because the Cincinnati Reds this season are celebrating their 150th season or 150th year because they started in 1869 so we're going way back on this one <laughs> and uh cap anson one of the first great hitters possibly the first to reach over 3,000 hits and famously on mr burns's original team that he tried to have for the springfield nuclear power plant before he had to get the rest of his ringers right he's the original mr cub even though this they were not known as the cubs for 
he was with the team when they were the White Stockings and the Colts. This is before the days of the Chicago Orphans or the Chicago Whales. And of course, the Chicago Cubs came a lot later. But he is, you know, the first Cub to be in the Hall of Fame. And he still holds records to this day for the club in hits and runs, doubles, and RBIs. Which is pretty impressive when the game has actually just changed so much since the 1870s, really. And he is also, another interesting fact I found here, he is the first to perform two unassisted double plays in a game. Yes, and also he's credited with inventing the hit and run. and was among the first to use hand signals, platoon players, pitching rotations, and conducting a team-sponsored spring training. Wow, and and this is back when your options for travel were train, horse, riverboat, or mule. So (laughs) it took a little work to get to spring training. So this was, I mean, this is back when baseball was two words and (sighs) ball was capitalized. And it was like the the stadiums were called the grounds. (laughs) West side grounds, the polo grounds, 39th street grounds. I I could I'll give a little more background here on Anson. Who's going to end up being our villain here? Uh, he refused to play against black players, just absolutely refusing. I just can't imagine that in this day and age. But uh, why why did you go from there and kind of give the background and what how he came across uh, Mr. Walker here too? Okay, yeah, this I'm reading from. 100 Things Cub Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die by Jimmy Greenfield, who I worked under at uh, the Ch- at Chicago Now, which is the Chicago Tribune's blogging network. Um, and he actually wrote the foreword for my book. So um, this is a, a great chance to read from his book. This is about uh, Cap Anson. It wasn't until years later that the unseemly side of Anson was deemed okay to write about and examine. Anson who played for the Cubs from 1876 to 1879, was also a racist whose actions, some believe, played a leading role in ushering in baseball's despicable color barrier. The incident most often mentioned took place on July 19, 1887, when the White Stockings went to Newark, New Jersey, to play an exhibition game. Newark's best player was an African-American pitcher named George Stovey, who was scheduled to start the exhibition. Anson reportedly refused to play if Stovey took the field, Stout wrote, and the New York team subsequently gave in to his demand. The Cubs played the exhibition while Stovey set out due to an unexpected, unexplained sickness. Anson's actions and those of others resulted in a color barrier being drawn that would continue unabated until 1947, eight years after Anson was elected to Baseball Hall of Fame. Now that refers to an exhibition game. Now, the altercation with Fleet Walker took place three years prior in 1884 when he was with Louisville. And this was uh, recently depicted in an episode of Drunk History. And it was also covered in detail on uh, the dollop when they did a Fleet Walker episode. Yeah, I believe that was one of their earlier episodes, too. Yeah, I mean, I like that one. It's kind of short. And I'm sure Juan will probably want us to keep this podcast at length on par with that. With the funny thing about, like, here on the Wikipedia page, where it says the quote that Anson said he wouldn't take the field with, um, there's an N-bomb in here, and 
as they read it on the dollop, they're like, like about the newspaper, they, they kept out the cursed words. Like they, they censored the swear words, but they left the N-word in. And Anson is alleged to have said, we'll play this here game, but won't play Never No More with the N-word in. Uh, well, I think that's a double negative. So I guess that is, it means he's going to play with him. Won't play Never No More. One, two, three, four. Well, it's even, so... Two double negatives gets you back to square, doesn't it? So I, I believe so, yes. I didn't realize that we were going to be having literary algebra here. <laughs> well, it was great that Toledo's manager, uh, Fleet's manager, Charlie Morton, just kind of just gave him the finger and, and put him in there anyway. So he kind of stuck up for him. And, the you know, one of there's so many horrible things that Fleet had to deal with, but... Um, one thing that kind of stood out is that he'd have to eat team meals in the kitchen of the restaurant and he'd have to sleep on park benches. Cause I mean, that's, I mean, it was Louisville. It was about a few years after reconstruction ended. So it's full on Jim Crow. And it it's really just sad when you think about how, I mean, this is what America used to be and how disgusting it was at one time. Oh, and there's still li- people living that remember this, too. I mean, it's not like it ended around this time, either. Right. When we get to the Cap Adson, when we get to um, where he his eternal resting place is, it actually relates to what is going on today. And it's amazing how all this connects. And um, we also have a Big Ten connection here because uh, Fleet Walker in the other just stand out of the time he was a michigan student in 1885 and played baseball on the university of michigan baseball or actually no he all the way back to 1882 he played for the university of michigan baseball team and as we're recording this michigan is playing in the college world series championship series against vanderbilt going for their first national title since the early 1960s go blue Dynamite drop in Juan. That's why he's the best color man in the game. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is like because we always joke about how the Michigan fight song, Hail, Hail, the Champions of the West. Well, we are this was the West in this era. Oh, exactly. And I didn't realize that college baseball was back that far, but I guess you're looking at baseball kind of got its start during the Civil War and proliferated afterward, too. So I I would like to note Paul, who is a, you know, who doesn't know better because he's a silly Michigan State alum, that the Champions of the West refers to the Western Conference back in the days. Not that it was the West back then for the United States. Started by started by Purdue President James H. Smart. Exactly. Well, you know, the important thing about this is here we are in Let's Get Weird Sports. We have the timely peg. We're talking about a Michigan man. We're talking about Michigan baseball during the College World Series. Because that's what we do here. Yes, we, we research these things closely and make sure that they cross-reference as much as possible into today. <laughs> I almost believed you for a half second there. <laughs> so, Paul, you, Paul, you should know not to believe Travis for more than one second. <laughs> I am a very trustworthy individual. I'm an Eagle Scout. The first part of the Scout Law is to be trustworthy. And be prepared. That's the Scout motto, not the Scout Law. See? It's all up here. <laughs> I 
I just okay. got a, I just got an eye roll from my wife. <laughs> so moving on. During his so, time, okay, so it says during his time at Michigan, Walker was paid by the White Sewing Machine Company of Cleveland to play for their semi-professional ball club in August 1881. I think it's called the White. I think it's named the White Sewing Machine Company. I don't think it's like a white supremacist sewing machines, but in this era, I don't know. Even back then, the sewing machines were racist. <laughs> and here's the thing. You have some other interesting bits where he actually played at Oberlin College. Well, he played at Oberlin College in 1878, majoring in philosophy and the arts. Uh, he rarely attended classes his sophomore year. And then there's actually a reference here that Oberlin played baseball as early as 1865, including, and I quote here, a jet black first, mace, first baseman whose presence meant that Walker was not college's first black player, but we don't know that team, that player's name. You know, it's amazing that this country has accomplished what it has and is what it is. Not some, like, third world <laughs> where we oh. We're on a hell of a toboggan ride back there right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the signs point there. Um, all right, so, so I mean, Fleet Walker was, I mean, he was a brilliant guy. He was educated. He invented some kind of patent um, with gunpowder or something. Am I, am I right about that? Uh, I'm not sure, but majoring in philosophy was pretty, pretty telling as well. And he was also one of the first to actually play with a catcher's mitt as a catcher. Oh yeah. That's the other thing about this era is, is not only did you not have a catcher's mitt, but one of a fleet walkers own teammates was a racist asshole who was pitched to him and he wouldn't give him signals. Like he wouldn't. If, if Walker gave him signals, he'd just brush it off and not pay attention. And he wouldn't even tell him what's going on. So he had to catch, not only did he have to catch fastballs with his bare hands, he wouldn't even know if a fastball was coming to prepare for it. And, and seeing some of these stories about uh, just the friction that he had in the league during his brief time here with Toledo, it reminds me a lot of the beginning of uh, Django Unchained when... <laughs> everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have it on a horse. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did find it. Culminating in the failed invention, the Justin gun, fascinated Walker designed and patented an outer casing in 1891 that remedied Justin's failure. The first of his four patent inventions, Walker invested in the design with hopes it would be in great demand, but the shell never garnered enough interest. All right, so his gunpowder patent didn't work out but he still he also ran an opera house and a movie theater with his brother weldy i mean he he did a lot after baseball was done after baseball was done with him yeah and i i see that and he also uh looks like he tried to play some independent league uh in some other leagues and everything but his only official time was in the majors was during that 1880 1884 season and he hit 30 points above the league average and mm -hmm. above the average of his team. So he was really good. He was just but he was hurt because like you said, his uh, pitcher would not take his uh, signals. Right. And then in those days as a catcher, when you have no protective gear, no mask and no, 
and no glove, I mean, you would have to miss a lot of games. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, goodness. It says that he also later hosted operas, live drama, vaudeville, and minstrel shows. Which uh, I've also read in the past, uh, sometimes in the minstrel shows, not only would they have white men playing in blackface, they would some if they did have a black actor, they would have him play in whiteface, which is just unbelievably if it's... It just cancels each other out, right? Let's I have guess. a bunch of white men dressed as different races talk about women's reproductive stuff. You know, <laughs> what could go wrong? As we're having two white guys talk about the black history of baseball. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Juan, because uh, it says in 1902, the brothers started the idea of black nationalism as editors for the equator. Uh, so they kind of were like, okay, we're going to be taking this back for the black man and... I kind of, you know, I got to side with them there because let's face it. These guys saw just the worst of the worst. Uh, they weren't even from the South or in the South at the time, except for Louisville would probably qualify as the South. And they're all like, let's just get out of here and form our own country and stuff. Oh, and here's what we, we missed. I just, the racism here is so comical because it's so bad. Together with pitcher George Stovey, referring back to the other player that Camp Atson had an issue with, Walker formed half of the first African-American battery in organized baseball, billed as the Spanish battery by fans. Stovey recorded 35 wins. Like, why were they the Spanish battery? Because Spaniards at the time had not blown up the main, obviously, and... Oh, they, we can accept them if they're if they're Spanish because that's still Europe. <laughs> if if I'm Stovey and Walker, I'm like, eh, I guess we'll take it. All right, sure. Si, se puede. Que <laughs> bueno. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> gringos. A la Madrid. Oh, right. This is this podcast is not going to go over well in Catalonia. <laughs> Nothing goes over well in Catalonia. <laughs> I mean, they've got their own soccer team. So, read, getting back to uh, Jimmy Greenfield's Cubs book, he quotes the Chicago Tribune's E.S. E. Sheridan, a sports editor who covered Anson during his heyday in the 1880s, and he wrote. Anson brought to professional baseball four great qualities of personal character that helped to make the profession what it is. He had integrity, sobriety, personal purity, and dignity, the last named quality, almost to the point of arrogance. 
unless you were black. Exactly. See, this is what we were dealing with. It's this guy was was deified in just deemed a hero because the press and everything didn't like. There's another quote here from Kennesaw Mountain Landis. And he, he, this is what Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis said at Anson's eulogy. I never knew him to do anything that would not bring respect and admiration. And Landis should have put, because I was a white supremacist piece of shit like Anson was. <laughs> this is true. Because I know, I know uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis is a large reason that you had the, as you mentioned, the gentleman's agreement to not have black players until long after... And Landis was dead, and Landis was basically the end-all, be-all law of Major League Baseball for decades. Exactly, and that's what's so, you know, we have a good time with the with these old-timey baseball podcasts. We've done the Rube, we've done Shoeless Joe, we've done the nineteen eighteen World Series. I think we've done another one, but it always comes back to a lot. Of the heroes of early baseball were extreme racist pieces of. They were white supremacists, but, you know, they that seems to be swept under the rug until much later. And, you know, Fleet Walker is the hero of our story. And in this time, when this was going on, it was the opposite. Anson was deemed the hero. And as, and as you mentioned, you just kind of have varying degrees of being a racist piece of shit. You had Ty Cobb, who just didn't care, and he voiced it. And then you had Cap Anson, who was often very quiet about it, unless asked to actually play against Fleet Walker. Right. It's like, oh, Cap Anson, what a straight arrow. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. Yeah, but he also refuses to take the field against a black player. So you have to wonder, like, how good were his records? I mean, that's whenever people talk about the asterisk of the steroid arrow, what about the asterisks, the asterisks when black players were relegated to the Negro League? And it's funny you mentioned that uh, an asterisk on the record. We don't really know how many hits Anson finished with in his career. He is sometimes credited as the first to ever reach 3,000 hits, which is honestly one of the most impressive milestones in Major League Baseball. There are only 32 members of the 3,000 hit club. And... There's probably not going to be one for a few years yet. Uh, the closest uh, active player that is not in the club is Miguel Cabrera, who is at 2,748. So he's probably going to need another year or two to get close to that. And then you don't have anybody else even remotely close down to Robinson Cano, who's just passed 2,500. So getting to 3,000 hits is quite the achievements and as i said 32 members honestly i am of the if you reach 3000 hits that should be automatic uh automatic inclusion into the hall of fame uh but that's not happened obviously and so anson being the first member of that club is pretty impressive but obviously they didn't keep records as well as they do now and he had some At one point, he had 60 walks credited to his total (laughs) Uh, because there was a rule in place only for the 1887 season that counted walks uh, as hits. And uh, they also don't know about his five years in the National Association 
uh, because they're not sure it was counted as an official major league at the time. Uh, <laughs> the Elias Sports Bureau does officially credit him with 3,012 hits. Uh, w- uh, that does not count his national uh, association total. He could have as many as 3,435, or he could have as few as 2,995. Oh, boy. I guess, uh, as Nelson Muntz once said about the Old West, records from that era are spotty at best. (laughs) I mean, you you didn't have fan graphs. You didn't have Sabre. You didn't have uh, the Sabermetrician geeks yet. But as you said, he still holds some Cubs records. More than a century later. I mean, the guy died in 1922. Well, I mean, that's what you get from a franchise where they didn't win a postseason series from 1908 to 2003. What was the first series they won on the road? They in two thousand three they they clinched the division series in Atlanta. I know. Okay. No, it's a, the first series they won at home because the two World Series were both in Detroit. <laughs> I did, uh, <laughs> might have been the two thousand sixteen NLCS. Uh, didn't they beat? Wasn't the like, deciding game against the Cardinals in fifteen at Wrigley? Yes. Yes, you're right. So yeah, that was the first one that they won at home. Yes, you're right, Otis. You were correct. That was the yeah. You're right, Otis. That was the Schwarber game. <laughs> wow, this cat's smart. He's like, that's the time that Schwarber hit the scoreboard. <laughs> well, Otis is like, this my down. I'm all <laughs> over this. The actually, what brings us back to modern day and really transitions us kind of away from sports, but still involves sports is where Cap Anson's final resting place is and what it's close to and what the controversy surrounding it is. I mean, is is it that time in the show to get to that? How are we doing on time? Yeah, I think we can start winding it down here and uh, kill these guys off. Okay, so Oakwood Cemetery is in the south side of Chicago, pretty close to Jackson Park, and it's you can see it from the Skyway. The Skyway borders it. Um, Grand Crossing is a neighborhood that's been predominantly African-American since the 70s. Um, yet this particular cemetery was segregated up until the 1960s. So when Anson went in there, he knew he was going into an all-white cemetery. And let's just say things have changed because some of the greatest trailblazers in African-American history are now buried in the same cemetery as he is like Ida B. Wells, the journalist who spoke out against lynching Harold Washington, uh, Chicago's first black mayor. And, and Jesse Owens is also buried there. That's impressive. I love when that happens to virulent racists where it's like, Oh, okay. He didn't want to be around black people in life. Well, here's a bunch of them in death. Right. And the whole neighborhood surrounding it is, is predominantly black, but Our story gets a little bit weirder, though, and unfortunately, it may actually be in favor of Cap Anson, because also in that cemetery, very close to Cap Anson's grave, is Confederate Mound, which was erected in 1893, same year as the Columbian Exposition World's Fair. They... There are 100,000 people attended it. It was on Memorial Day, and even President Grover Cleveland was there. 
it's really kind of hard to call this a Confederate monument because the it was kind of held as the the ceremony was held as a way to kind of bring North and South together and try to symbolize unity. And it's not a monument. It doesn't glorify the Confederates. It's actually the largest mass grave in the Western Hemisphere. It's got 6,000 Confederate dead soldiers, only 4,200 of which have been identified. Well, they needed leeches and hacksaws for their gangrenous limbs. I mean, these these are all guys who, pa- a lot of them passed away from smallpox, cholera, typhoid, starvation, the cold. And it was from Camp Douglas. Um, yeah, you're right, Otis. Camp Douglas was the north version of, of Andersonville. And it's, Camp Douglas was located where, I kind of like where IIT or Bronzeville is and actually very close to... Sox Park, the Cell, Guaranteed Rate Field, the Rate, the G Spot, whatever you want to call it today. So, <laughs> I was unaware that they called the uh, Sox Park the G Spot. Now, this podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. But um, there are there are some people who believe that uh, they should take Confederate Mound down. But you know. Like, I mean, it, it is a, it is a mass grave and, you know, the statue is just of some generic soldier. It's definitely not glorifying anything. So, and see if it's, if it's a mass grave and a generic soldier, that's not as offensive as like putting up a statue for, you know, a statue for some general, like, uh, like Robert E. Lee or anything. I mean, these guys, eh, yeah, they well, did it, die of rebellion to this country though. So. In, in the spirit of tonight's Cubs versus Braves game, because, um, again, that's what we do on Let's Get Weird Sports. We peg everything to what's going on today. Um, oh, yes, definitely. You know, take that out at Stone Mountain. What the hell's that? <laughs> Start with that. You've got, like, three of the leaders of a treasonous failed rebellion. Their stupid participation trophy wall. Take yeah, you know what? At least um, Confederate Mound in Chicago, it it's connected to you know the fact that the North, it just the North won so decisively, and it was of you know some of the stuff that's been written about it is really interesting that Chicago would would try to bring the two sides together after that, and as we saw in 2017, um, the two sides are still not together. Uh, I'm reminded of the episode of The Simpsons where the PTA disbands, and I just sent it to you in our little uh, Twitter group. Uh, You have the voiceover of 
the Confederacy coming to Fort Springfield, and they go, we can surrender unconditionally. We're sick. We need leeches and hacksaws to assault for gangrenous limbs. But the Springfield Brigade was too brave to accept their surrender. Come on, boys. Those white boys are those white flags are no match for our muskets. And the Springfielders heroically slaughtered their enemies as they prayed for mercy. <laughs> and that's how you got 6,000 dead Confederates in Chicago. <laughs> and I don't know how many other cities have a General Grant um, monument like we have in um, Lincoln Park. You know what? Wow, Lincoln Park, the Grant Monument, Camp Douglas. You know, the land of Lincoln, you know, when I think about it, if if you're a Confederate sympathizer, like if you're like that guy in Virginia who ran, that was kind of his platform. He ran for governor and he ran for Senate. Come to Chicago, man. You could see, you know, all the people who kicked your ass the most are all right here. <laughs> the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast, not Confederate sympathizers. <laughs> this is no, we don't side with we don't side with losers. <laughs> this episode of the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast will not be will not be played in 1863 Atlanta, Georgia. I think we're going to lose that con- Daughters of the Confederacy sponsorship, I'm afraid. <laughs> On that though, we should probably wrap things well, up. Well, I'm sure here. the Daughters of the Confederacy are always used to coming second anyway. Oh! oh! <laughs> Boom! And one with the majestic dunk. His G spot one earlier was pretty funny too in our little <laughs> little chat. Oh yeah, I think Travis set me up there, but then by the time I realized that you guys had moved on, oh well. Well, I don't know. SB Nation doesn't have like a Confederacy website. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they have an S- They have the SEC. Oh, boom again! <laughs> it just means more. Well, it doesn't help that their map, the SEC map and the Confederacy map, is like nearly identical. <laughs> also, the same as the map of Zaxby's location. So, hey, oh. no, there's Zaxby's locations in Indianapolis. And, you well, know, I, we should I'm, edit that out because we want to get Zaxby's a sponsor, don't we? <laughs> I have no idea, honestly, who sponsors us at this point. Oh well, with our, ne- our next one, I think we are going to cover. Um, I think we might go to Atlanta because we are going to cover the Olympics. We're going to go back to our, our roots of the uh, Olympics stuff for the next episode. We're all going to Atlanta and recording on location, or we're just going to be talking about Atlanta? No, we're going to talk about it. Ah, damn. You know, I just figured you're – I didn't know if you were making so much from your book already that you were going to send us all to Atlanta. Actually, yeah, the royalties are, are so high that I'm actually going to have Jermaine Dupree and Ludacris themselves – welcome us to atlanta when we arrive to do it i'm paying them well hell yeah that sounds great (laughs) we're gonna do some 96 olympics we're gonna you know we're gonna have a good old time with the summer games on the next one oh that's good because my my brother-in-law was living in atlanta at the time that they announced that they got the games for 96 and he said it was just absolutely nuts down there when it happened well, as we speak, the Braves are beating the Cubs 3-2 in the bottom of the eighth. So, like, so it's yeah. just like the 1980s. But it's the opposite of the Civil War. I, I, I remember as a kid growing up in the 80s when WGN would broadcast all Cubs games and TBS would broadcast all Atlanta Braves games. And in those rare instances where the Cubs and Braves played each other, I would watch the Cubs batting on, the, on WGN and the Braves batting on TBS just for the hell of it. That's pretty cool. I 
so you had like, or you just switched back and forth? Uh, yeah, I just switched back and forth. We only had twelve channels. It was the eighties. <laughs> I remember that was one of Bart Simpson's pleas to stop Homer Simpson from cutting the cable when they had the stolen illegal cable. He's listing out all the things. Don't cut it for this, and he said Atlanta Braves baseball. <laughs> so since we've reached the point where people should be removing themselves from my lawn during the podcast, <laughs> I think it's time we start wrapping things up. Yeah, no kidding. You guys said this would be a short podcast, and you know, here we are, like an hour later. So, okay, for Juan and myself and Paul, we thank you for listening to the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast. And stay tuned for our next one where we will be discussing the 96 Olympics and a crazy bomber that tried to blow up people in Centennial Olympic Park.